0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 325 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, July 5th, 2021. I hope you all had a very nice Independence Day weekend. Donald Wine here, your host for this show. I spent the majority of the weekend in Annapolis with my best friends and their family and friends. Uh, It was an incredibly fun time, then got back to D.C. last night in time to catch the big fireworks show that always happens every year. I have my two friends with me, Sam Klein and Jason Evans. Gentlemen, how was your fourth weekend? Sam, I'll start with you. Great. It is still ongoing. I am at my
1: parents' house and recording at my dad's desk today because I am not at my at my own home desk, but it's been really nice to uh, be here with family and celebrate the fourth. We didn't see any fireworks the other night. Um, we, we stayed in, but we could hear them everywhere.
0: So that was good. I believe it. They were going off all over the place. Jason, how was it done in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, I did the fireworks thing. I, I, uh, I walked, it was a couple miles, um, but it was a nice, healthy walk to uh, the city center here in Sandy Springs, Georgia, where they had a concert and, and then fireworks. Uh, both my sons are in town and they went with me and my wife. We joined another couple that, that we're good friends with over there. My kids, who are both in their 20s, commented that there were lots of little kids, lots of old people like me and, and older but no kids their age. So they were a little bummed, but I had a great time.
0: <laughs> I, I find sometimes, especially in my age, last like 10 years or so, there have been times where I've showed up at events with my family and there is that, that, that middle ground where there's people too older, too old for me to hang with, too young for me to hang with. And it's just kind of me by myself or maybe one other person. You learn to make do. It, it, your, your kids will learn as they,
2: as they grow older that it's something that will be far more common. So so my my older son uh, it was a physics major and is really into st- statistics and math and all that other kind of stuff. He's the one going to law school. And and he was talking about the difference in mean and median. And he was saying people who don't understand statistics would look at this crowd and they'd go, "Oh, the the mean age here is, you know, the average age here is in the 40s or something like that. It's not that not that old." He said, "But that's because there are a bunch of 5-year-olds and a bunch of 80-year-olds." <laughs> right. He goes, "Median is a uh, I'm sorry, mean, uh, No, median is a better number, he said, because there are so many old people, in, but the, the it's thrown off by, by the the little kids they brought with them. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, well, we <laughs> have a couple of... <laughs> this,
1: has been, this has been a statistics lesson that I didn't know that we were getting here. Uh, yeah. On, on uh, by the, the way, today. tell
2: your
0: kid, tell your kid, he's still got time. Don't go to law school. Just, just go with physics and stats. That'll, ask be, him that'll about, be important. Ask him about bimodal distribution.
2: Yeah, that, I'm sure he that, knows all about what, that stuff. That, that's what he's I don't got even going know what here. it means.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that, that thing. If you guys know what that is, podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what whatever Sam just said is. I took, I took two terms <laughs> of statistics at, uh, at, at business school. I'm basically an expert. Uh, I have one fun stat. This is not a stats podcast. This is the Duke Basketball Report podcast. So we're going to get to some Duke basketball stuff. We want to begin, though, right close to home. Within the brotherhood, within the program, according to Coach K, a member of the brotherhood will be coming home to Durham. Coach K was a guest this past weekend on the Steam Room, which is a podcast with Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson from TNT. And on that podcast, Coach K announced that Emil Jefferson, who was a member of five Duke teams, including the 2015 National Championship team, will become the dir- will become the director of player development for Duke men's basketball this season. Emil, of course, was one of the great players during the mid-2010s for Duke. Incredibly tough on defense, great rebounder, three-time captain, and as I mentioned, an integral part of several teams, including that 2015 national title team. He played two seasons in the NBA for the Orlando Magic and was most recently with Galatasaray in Istanbul, Turkey. He now moves into the role that was covered, at least in part, by Nolan Smith the past few seasons. So Sam, I'll start with you. What do you think of this move, bringing Emil Jefferson back home to Durham?
1: I mean, make me a short list of like the three or five most obvious young Duke alums who of course need to become coaches or, or player development guys back in, in college someday. And Emil was right at the top of that list if it wasn't Quinn Cook. So I'm, I'm very excited that Emil is coming back to Durham. I'm very excited that he's going to be working with the, with the, the current iteration of the Duke basketball team. And when he was in school, remember one of the One of the interesting things about Emile's career is that he got hurt his junior year, or what was what would have been his senior year, became his redshirt junior slash senior year and stayed for a fifth year in Durham. Which we don't often see. We don't often see guys stay for five years in the basketball program in general. We particularly don't see it when they are four or five star prospects. And and Emile, you know, just based on his sort of profile, I don't think ever ever really was going to be a a big time NBA player. He was a little bit undersized as a big man and, and couldn't really step out and play on the perimeter much. So there wasn't, there wasn't a ton of hope for him as a professional, but he did get to stick around for a long time for five years in the Duke program and become a captain. And I felt like by his super senior year in 2017, when Duke had a very talented team that included Jason Tatum and Harry Giles, that Emil Jefferson was basically an extra coach on the floor for the Blue Devils. He was able to direct those young guys around. He was able to show them the ropes, show them what it meant to be a Duke basketball player. And, and so it's just very exciting to have him back. I think he's going to fit right in. He and Nolan Smith and John Shire are obviously very familiar with each other. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he overlapped directly with Chris Carrawell, but I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a, a fairly easy transition for him. So I'm excited for Emil to be in this role. And, uh, and, and doing, it sounds like it's player development. It's a little bit of a reshuffling from the way that they had the, the staff before, because Duke has promoted RJ Hunter into a, into a director of basketball operations role. So they're kind of splitting Nolan Smith's role from, from what it was previously. And Hunter, I I don't know how much we're going to talk about him. Hunter's not a Duke alum, but he's been on the bench and part of the program for the last few years, sort of assisting Nolan and doing um, video analysis and some other kind of behind the scenes basketball ops stuff. So uh, I'm very excited to have Emil Jefferson back. He's going to be a great addition to the bench and someone who's going to be able to teach the guys sort of what it means to be a duke basketball
0: player i think this hire it, i agree with you sam is an important one and a really good one for this reason it brings back a lot of the intensity and passion that a lot of guys when they think about duke basketball they think about guys like emil jefferson at least we do right those guys that always played with intensity and played play, play with that passion for and is able to exude that upon their teammates and so you know, having Nolan Smith as an assistant coach, having Chris Carwell as an assistant coach, bringing it back to as director of player development. Those are moves that I think are instilled to try and hey, bring some of that back. Uh, not that it was fully missing, but over the course of the last couple of years, we haven't seen as much of it as we had, you know, back in the mid 2010s or before that. Who's more
1: of a dog in the last eight or 10 years of Duke basketball? Exactly. Samuel Jefferson.
0: Exactly. Like that, those type of players. So Jason, what do you think of this ride? I I know you were very excited when, when you heard, when you heard the news.
2: Yeah. So first of all, um, just so folks understand the way the basketball staff works, not being a full fledged assistant coach means that Emil will, will not be allowed to, to go out and do any recruiting you know, away from Duke. I mean, when guys come to campus, he can chat with them, but he can't go on the road, do any recruiting. I think there are limits on how much he can travel with the team for games and other things like that, but he will be involved in practices. There's no question about that, I think. Um, and I strongly suspect you will see him, because he's a guy who was you know, in the NBA, on the fringes of the NBA for the past couple of years. Um, and, and who was playing in the G League internationally? I mean, this is a guy who, who's had an interesting pro career. Um, I, he's still interested in, in playing some basketball, and, and he'll be on the court practicing with the team. I mean, I, I really look forward to what Emil's going to be able to show uh, Paolo Banquero and, and Mark Williams and other Duke big men about playing in the post. Um, against professional caliber players because Emil Jefferson has excelled at that. Folks, take a second and go look at some of the stats he put up in the G League. I mean, admittedly, he didn't play a lot in the NBA. He earned more than $2 million, which, you know, great for him. (laughs) That's that's not insignificant money. Um, But uh, in the G League, he was – this was a guy who was routinely doing like 20 and 10 (laughs) in his G League games. This is a guy who knows how to play in the post really, really effectively – and, and I think he's going to be, you know, if you look at the, the makeup of the Duke coaching staff, a lot of guards, <laughs> a lot of wings on there. Emil Jefferson is a guy who understands playing in the post and, and really knows how to, you know, do the, the dirty work, the little stuff down there. So I'm really looking forward to what he can bring in practice in those situations. The other thing is, dude won a title. Dude played in 150 games. Let, let's repeat that one. He played in 150 games in a Duke uniform. That is unbelievable that's because he had that red shirt year and because the teams he was on tended to go really long really far in the uh in the ncaa tournament and so he got in extra games that way he played in 150 games in a duke uniform he knows what it takes to win he knows what it takes to develop as a player and get better as a player over the course of your time Uh, i I mean i i i love this hire Uh, there are so many things to like about it and i feel like he's going to fit in beautifully with the other guys we have on the staff
1: Jason, you mentioned that he played in 150 games. I was reviewing his his undergraduate stats the other day or or, or this morning in preparation for this. There, obviously, there's not a ton that stands out for Emil. We know that he didn't score a ton of baskets. He never took a three-pointer. He was a good rebounder, but until late in his career was not a great rebounder. But something, I, honestly, the thing that sticks out to me most, he started 103 games of the 150 that he played mm-hmm. in. And, and I think that you know he he got to play with some really talented guys like Jolly Okafor early in his career he was kind of behind Ryan Kelly and Mason Plumley he his career stretched long enough that he played with Jason Tatum for the one season so he played behind a lot of other big guys who kind of attracted more attention than emil did but man he started he started a lot of games and he was a key piece and and you mentioned jason the national championship duke doesn't win that national championship game if emil jefferson can't come in and play defense and spell jolly Okafor for for periods of time where look we love ja on offense and we know that he was one of the best big man scorers that that duke has had in a long time but he was a little lacking on defense, and Emil brought the intensity on defense, not just in the post, but in the perimeter, too.
2: Yeah, by the way, in that national championship game, I want folks to remember, uh, Emil plays 21 minutes in that game. He only scores two points, but he had seven rebounds. He was second on the team in rebounding. Um, he had three block shots in that game. Uh, it, he
1: helped. He really helped. Neutralized not fully, but but he helped hold down Frank Kaminsky, who was Wisconsin's yes, big yeah. man and the national player of the year that year. And, and and Emil was the one locking him up on defense for long stretches in that game.
2: Yeah, we don't win that title. There's like no question that we don't win that title without Emil Jefferson. Jalil Okafor only plays 22 minutes in the national championship game because he Cause got in some bad foul, foul trouble. trouble. Yeah, he had foul he, trouble. He
1: was he was he was up and down in that game. And, and so Emil and Marshall Plumley both needed to to be key guys for for Duke in the post in that game.
0: Yeah, when it comes to Emil, you were talking about his rebounding. So that year after the national championship year, like right before he got hurt, he was basically a machine when it came to rebounding, right? He he would come out, he was going to get nine, 10 rebounds a game. And if he also got 10 points, it means we were blowing the doors out of the gym for somebody. Then he got hurt. He came back senior year and he again picked up where he left off, but also added, a little bit of a shooting touch not necessarily from three pointer or, or for 15, but inside the paint, he had a little jump hook. He had like a way to kind of snake around people to kind of get lay And he was going for double doubles quite a bit. That sort of mentality is what we've been missing. Because if you guys recall, one of the big stats that we recorded last year was rebounding and we weren't good at it in very many games. There were some games we were good at it. Some games we were atrocious at it. He's going to be hopefully a guy that can teach these guys, especially the guards, because again, like you said, we have a lot of guards this year. He's a guy that knows how to play in the paint undersized and still get his rebounds. So if he could teach those guys how to be able to box out and do the thing that the fundamentals that can get rebounds and have us going the other way on offense, we're going to be a really good team for it. And I think Emil is the guy to bring in for that.
1: There's a word that basketball analysts, I think, overuse for a certain type of player, which is scrappy. That I think mm-hmm. describes Emil Jefferson probably better. You should than just it call describes... it a Yeah, exactly. There is nobody scraps like Emil Jefferson, and and so you're going to hear stories in practice about Emil and Nolan Smith and John Shire going after some of these guys and being like, "You guys can't hang with us. Like you, you, you don't know what it's like."
0: <laughs> I you know so I, I we were talking about this before the show. Uh, I really wish that we had done the TBT segment today because. I Emil mean, would have been a great great addition to that. I think yeah, I the Duke, had him on my
1: coaching staff now, the Duke coaching staff now, pretty straight. You know, if we fast forward to next year, when it's when it's Shire, Sewell, Emil, and Nolan, presumably Emil becomes an assistant coach next year if he if he sticks around and this all goes well. Man, that's a that's a that's a nice three on three team.
0: Look, I'm they can probably still play for some of these games. I might say, hey, coach, just get out on the court, give these guys a break. You, you guys can handle it. And, the, and I know the other team won't. So, uh, well, but congratulations to Emil Jefferson. Uh, again, for all of us, I think one of the great choices for that role uh, as the director of player development. I wanted to move on quickly and kind of stay in this realm dealing with recruiting. And, Jason, there is a huge recruit, Derek Whitehead, who is about to make an important decision. And by all accounts, it sounds like Duke should be paying very close attention to what he
2: decides. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so this guy, Drake Whitehead is a a very big deal because uh, we're talking about one of the top 10 recruits in the class. And, and this is the kind of recruit that if Duke lands him would really cement John Shire as uh, you know, as continuing the, the recruiting juggernaut that Duke has been over the years with Coach K, because this would, uh, you know, again, this is a guy in the class of 2022. This is someone who would be coming to Duke knowing that he will be playing not for Coach K, but for John Shire. Uh, and and it's worth noting that uh, the the predictions that are coming in on the 24-7 crystal ball, 75% of the predictions so far are saying Duke. Uh, there There's one guy out there who, who has picked Florida State for derek Whitehead, but but he made that pick several months ago, and it doesn't feel like it's, you know, it's it's one of these picks that, um, that is indicative of, of the player actually, you know, actually knowing what the player was going to do. These picks have all come in since, and this is the news, that since Tariq Whitehead announced that he was going to pick his school. He said that he's going to do this on August 1st. And, and look, you don't, you don't say, hey, I, I've made up my decision and I'm announcing it on August 1st without having already made your decision. So the recruiting experts out there are now beginning to weigh in on, on which school he's going to pick on August 1st. And they're all saying that it's going to be Duke. I, I want to tell folks a little bit about Derek Whitehead. Um, dude is a 6'6", small forward uh, who, who plays at the truly elite Montverde Academy. Uh, folks, if you play at Montverde, you are a big-time basketball player. I, I just want to give people uh, – basically, they produce you know, a, a top 20 or so recruit every single year, sometimes multiples of them. Here are just some of the players, some of the ridiculous alumni who have played at Montverde Academy – um, R.J. Barrett, Joel Embiid, Scotty Barnes, Ben Simmons, D'Angelo Russell, Cade Cunningham. Need, need I continue? I mean, come even on. Even in
0: baseball, even in baseball, Francisco Lindor played at Montverde Academy. So they're just like, they just get everybody in every sport.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is where Derek Whitehead is coming from. And, and like I said, the experts are saying he's probably his next stop after the elite Montverde Academy is going to be, uh, is going to be Durham for, for John Shire. I, uh, just so people understand what kind of player this is, like I said, top 10 recruit, 24-7 has him as the number six player in the class. Um, he's a wing, and and uh, there, there's some experts out there who compare him to Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech because he is elite on both ends of the floor. That is a really, really important thing. He's a three-level scorer. He, you know, he can get in the paint. He's got a good outside shot and a, a good pull-up jumper, but the thing I love about him is, he is a long, quick guy who has tremendous potential as a defender. Um, there are a number of experts out there. You know, we've been starting to get these, you know, live tournaments, players playing against players again, which we didn't have for a while in the high school level, at the elite high school level. And everywhere that Derek Whitehead goes and plays, people come back and they go, man, that guy can defend. That guy has great anticipation. He, he gets in the passing lanes. I am super excited, Yeah, you, you know tune in in a month, <laughs> August 1st, we'll be doing a podcast uh, when this guy announces because he's that big a deal. And, and it and it looks like at the moment, Duke is at least the leader, if not, you know, perhaps the, you know, the likely choice. And he would be a very, very exciting recruit for the Blue Devils um, to, to build, you know, John Shire's first team around. Yeah, he is an exciting player
0: just from the little bits that I've seen. And again, it's really because of COVID. They I have not got to see a lot of him play because, you know, they just haven't been playing a lot of games until most recently, as Jason mentioned. Sam, let me turn to you quick thoughts on Derek Whitehead and the possibility of him being in a Duke uniform.
1: I think Jason hit the most important point, which is that it, whether it's this guy or Philipowski, the important thing for John Shire is to get off on the right foot with recruiting. And, you know, Philipowski, as we were talking about, is a good not uh not great like I mean he's he's a great high school player and I'm sure he's going to be a good college player but is not a cornerstone uh Duke basketball recruit the way that Whitehead would be so I I very much hope that he commits to Duke and that it means that it basically looks like there's an unbroken chain of of great recruits coming to Duke whether they're being recruited primarily by Mike Krzyzewski or by John Shire
2: you know one one little thing Sam, that you bring up about, you know, great top end recruit, you know, we still don't know, but it looks like several guys in the class of 2022, several of the top guys are going to take the pro route that they're not interested in playing any college ball. Look, we don't know how name image and likeness and the money that you can get from playing in college is going to change things, but it looks like at least a couple, maybe a few of those guys at the very top of the class are going to um, take the, you know, either the G league or the overtime elite, you know, one of those other Uh, turn pro out of high school options before they go to the NBA. Uh, Dariq Whitehead is a guy who's been very clear that he wants to play in college, wants to play college ball. And, uh, you know, I said, look, he's the number six recruit in the class. He may end up being the number two or so guy who actually goes to college. So yeah, a very, very significant recruit.
0: So we will see what happens again. August 1st is when we expect the commitment of Dariq Whitehead to whatever school he chooses to play. Hopefully, Duke is the name that comes out of his mouth on that date. We will take a quick break. After we come back, it's official. Players can profit off of their own name, image, and likeness. What does it mean for Duke? We'll get into it after this. Okay, guys, we are back. And as I mentioned, today is July 5th. That means we are five days into the name, image, and likeness era of collegiate athletics. On July 1st, college athletes were finally allowed to begin to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. Is something that we have talked about on the show quite a bit over the past few months. There are, of course, some caveats to this, but what was interesting about it from a Duke perspective was how ready Duke men's basketball was for this to begin. Their social media was all over it from the beginning. And we've already seen a couple of players, at least from not just from Duke, but across the country, take advantage of this. Mark Williams is one of the main players, and we'll get into that in just a second. Jason, I want to start with you because this is a topic that you've kind of helped us keep up with these past few weeks and months. So what are some of the more interesting bits of information that you've seen with the beginning of this new area of collegiate athletics?
2: Uh, First of all, before I get into some of the interesting deals that were announced in the first day or two since the name image and likeness restriction was lifted. Can, can we just tip our hat to the NCAA who literally let's not forget, they set up a whole commission a few years ago to look into this, to discuss how they would do name image and likeness in the end with like eight hours to go before the July 1st deadline where they had to do something where, and by the way, that deadline, they've known it for, like six months, eight months, something like that. This is not, this was not a a surprise.
1: Years. They've known about this. There were, there were state legislators that said that this was years in the making.
2: Yeah. So eight hours before the July 1st deadline came into effect, the NCAA, again, which had set up a commission, people who spent hundreds of hours working on this, the NCAA basically said, oh yeah, we got nothing. Uh, Just do it. Go ahead. Schools, schools, you can decide for yourself. If your state has a law, you follow the law. If not, you guys can figure it out yourselves. What a horrible, like, it's just such a terrible abdication of their, of their responsibility for, for the entire existence of the NCAA. Since it began, they have said, you may not make money off your name, image, and likeness. You cannot make a penny. My son, we were discussing this. My son was pointing out, he's like, you know, someone was saying to me, they were like, you know who's going to do the best off of this? Uh, is, is the attractive women who already have like, big Instagram and and Twitter followings and such because they post somewhat provocative pictures of themselves. And by the way, more power to them. I'm not no judgment at all, but there are female athletes out there who have huge hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of social media followers because they're easy on the eyes. They're easy to look at. That's, that's cool. That's fine. And they're, and they're fashionable and all that other kind of stuff. And, and, and they are the ones who are immediately going to be able to monetize their social media following in a very, very big way. And my son was like, I don't understand. They're not, you know, when we're talking about, you know, for example, um, Haley and Hannah uh, Cavender, who are female basketball players at Florida State. I'm sorry, at Fresno State, um, uh, who have like half a million followers on Instagram already. And and immediately, the moment this was announced, they they, they said, oh, we have a deal with Boost Mobile, you know, a significant company. <laughs> they have a deal with, with them. Boost, Boost Mobile. They also have a deal with a, a, a company that makes nutrition shakes, you know, uh, those kind of, um, uh, protein shake kind of things to, pr- pr- to promote those things on their social media feed. And, and my son was like, "Wait, I don't understand. They, they, they don't have a half a million followers on Instagram because they play basketball. Like I've never heard of Haley and Hannah Cavender, the Fresno state basketball team. I don't, I don't follow the, the male Fresno state basketball team, let alone the women's Fresno state team. So he was like, they, they have all those followers because They're, they're twins and they're, you know, easy to look at. He goes, why, how can the NCAA say they weren't allowed to make money off their Instagram feed? And I'm like, because the NCAA for generations has had this stupid rule that makes no sense whatsoever, where they control, you know, if you're an athlete, they controlled your image. And, and, and like I said, with eight hours to go until the deadline, they just went ahead and said, okay, all right, forget it. We're not going to, this thing that's been a fundamental part of who we are, they said, we're not going to do it anymore.
1: It's almost, it's almost crazy that they didn't try to come up with, and maybe they did, and and they just never reached a consensus about it, but try to come up with a way to, to control it. Because I, I don't think that there were a lot of people saying, I didn't hear this, that, oh, the NCAA has no business helping the, the athletes like like get deals and get sponsorships and 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 do all these sorts of things and and the, the the school compliance officers are are like shouldn't be turning around and like helping the athletes sort of as like amateur agents of theirs it was just total abdication if you look at the if you look at duke's announcement about name image and likeness they they put out a a little statement on goduke.com that then linked to the university's like official NIL policy and it's less than 2 pages long about basically do whatever you want. Uh, the university is here to support you and to further the academic mission of the of the school and and all that kind of stuff. But it's not our it's not our place to to police it very much. Like go forward, and I don't think that Duke's policy is very different from most other schools that you're going to encounter. They're basically saying, "Have fun, good luck." Uh, so I'm I'm actually surprised that they didn't try to not put limits on it, but at least try to set up structures for the students to. Well, the, the NCAA
2: they, does the NCAA does not want the schools being too involved in this, because then you start to get into questions of recruiting and are you offering
0: pay to play and all
2: that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, um, uh, you know, is it a a fair and balanced playing field? And by the way, it's not, I mean, there's no question that committing to a Duke or a Kentucky or in football to an Alabama or Notre Dame is going to boost your social media following. It's going to boost your, um, you know, your ability to earn money off of, off of your social media, for example, in a way that you won't have if you go to a smaller, a smaller school or an institution that doesn't have nearly as many fans that follow it. So so yeah, this is it's going to be a problem from a recruiting standpoint, but they don't want the schools like being blatantly out there (laughs) marketing their athletes in this way. So I will say about
0: the NCAA, I am not surprised that when the chips came down and they had to walk or you know say something or walk that they decided just to throw up their hands and say, we're not going to do anything. Remember, this is a group that went to the Supreme Court. They went to Congress trying to get them to uh, infiltrate the system and change it for them. And neither of them did. In fact, the Supreme Court basically said, what you've been doing is so far out of whack that we are calling this unconstitutional and you need to fix it immediately. And that's when they kind of threw up their hands and said, all right, well, I guess everyone just kind of do what they want. Just don't recruit people based on it. But I was not surprised the NCAA went this route because they have tried to go the easy route this entire time. They have tried to kick the can down the road and the road ended. It, it ended on a cliff. And instead of sitting there trying to get the can, they just kicked
2: it off the cliff. That's what they did. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. And we can talk forever about how stupid the NCAA was about all this stuff, but I'd rather talk. I think it's more fun. Let's talk about some of the early deals that we saw that, that came out. Like a lot of this stuff was announced literally on july 1st it is clear that these players knew what was coming oh they were Um, ready this was like this was like
1: nba free agency when free agency hits at midnight and then and then Mm -hmm. a a series of guys all announce who they've signed with and it's like wow you really went through a lot of contract negotiations really quickly didn't you
2: (laughs) (laughs) and so we'll, well let's start with the duke guy which is mark williams um duke's first name image and likeness opportunity and and it will not be the last (laughs) uh is mark williams who is selling video messages on cameo go on cameo and for 50 bucks a pop you can get mark williams to you know give you a personal video message i don't know you know like for a birthday or something like that if you wanted to wish someone a happy birthday or say something else silly who knows what it may be but mark williams is on cameo he is not alone if you look at Cameo and look at like the latest people to join Cameo, there are a ton of college football and basketball players, like like half the Kentucky basketball team. I, li- I was looking through Cameo. I-, I literally think like one guy in Kentucky joined Cameo and he told his teammates, hey, guys, sign up here. And, and like <laughs> half the Kentucky basketball team is on Cameo. You can get them to say any kind of thing. I'm, I'm sort of tempted to to throw down 35 bucks or so and get some Kentucky player to talk about how much Duke is better than Kentucky. I think that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> you
0: could do that because yeah. that's what Cameo is about. Sometimes Cameo has some tricky things. So, hey, Mark, don't, don't do any UNC ones. You don't have to take those. You can just kind of shove that to the side. No, no scripts for UNC in them. Just all Duke.
1: I don't know why. Why Mark Williams is only fifty bucks a pop. I mean, he's he's going to be one of the stars of Duke basketball this year. So I jack hey, he up cheese, his rate man. whenever he wants. Jack up yeah. that. Jack up that price. Cameo price the brick
0: cheap. can go up at any time.
1: I haven't. I haven't done any. I haven't. I haven't bought any cameos and and haven't admittedly searched through the site. So I don't have a sense for what the what the what the rates are in in this market.
0: That's about right. It's about yeah. right for what most of them are. Because you have some that are as low as like three bucks. They're just like, hey, I'm just doing this. Just to do it. Then you have some of the you know more pronounced like stars and legends that are on there and they're charging like 250 300 400 for and how uh, many videos the are ISO. they
1: doing now we're going to have a whole conversation about how cameo works no which, yeah, we're not is, which i know which <laughs> i know by the way is a is a company started and run by a lot of duke people so i should probably be more uh should be more up uh, uh, up to date on this
2: i did not know that i didn't know that it had any Duke connection
1: yeah yeah Tied it back but, in. Uh, cameo was started by a uh, Cameo started by a guy who was at Duke at the same time that I was there. So, uh, and and I and I I know that there's a lot of Duke people who work there because I see them all on my LinkedIn because it's all people that I know from undergrad.
2: Sam, Sam, you need to do some research and tell us more about cameo. Yeah, I should probably be. <laughs> I'll
1: I'll I'll, I'll uh, see if I can get some cameo folks on the uh, on the podcast.
2: All right. So
0: speaking to so speaking to ca- so cameo, Jason, like. I know there's been a couple of quirky deals out there, some fun deals. I have one that I want to do, but I want to see what you got uh, for as far as some of the fun deals you've seen so far.
2: Okay, yeah, I was going to go into this. So uh, Trey and Bruce McGowans of Nebraska Basketball have started a podcast that they call Off Court. I haven't listened to it yet. I don't know about it, but it's sponsored by two local restaurants. Uh, The the big ones, the folks who are really killing on this, Miami quarterback De'Ara King and Florida State quarterback Mackenzie Milton who, who should be rivals or something like that. But they got together, and on, Ju- on July 1st, they announced that they had started a company. It's called Dreamfield, which is a marketplace for athletes to sell autographs, to book live appearances, and stuff like that. It's basically Cameo on steroids. They're also selling NFTs, non-fungible tokens. I'm still not entirely clear on exactly we're not how it is. We're not getting NFTs. We're not getting that.
1: Oh, we're not doing a, we're not doing a whole NFT segment?
2: Oh, nope. my
0: God. Nope. Good. Keep going. Keep going. Good.
2: Well, they're selling all that kinds of stuff, um, and they both listed their autographs for two thousand dollars on this Dreamfield website. Old Miss quarterback Matt Coral has listed his autograph for ten thousand dollars on on Dreamfield on this website that these guys started. I, I've got a question, guys. Is this the end of free autographs? I mean, it used to be you could stand in the parking lot, players would come out and give you a free autograph. Players now realize their autograph no. is
0: worth something. No, it's not. Here's why: because in the pros. You have them given away free autographs all the time, and they've been able to sell for centuries. So yeah, this is this uh,
1: is a this is just a matter of of principle and philosophy for the individuals. Because I know that um, Cal Ripken is somebody who was like famous for giving autographs to every kid at Camden Yards when you know when when he was a star for the Orioles, and he was one of the biggest stars in baseball. And meanwhile, you can't get within fifty feet of Pete Rose unless you pay him fifty bucks to yeah. To sign something or to take a picture with him, so it's just a matter of philosophy. I'm sure that there are guys like this Ole Miss quarterback who will say, "I ain't touching anything. I ain't, I ain't getting in a picture or anything for you know without paying me." But meanwhile, you could probably stand outside Cameron Indoor and a couple of Duke basketball players will walk by, and if you're a if you're a kid, you could probably just get a picture with them, no problem.
2: Yeah, and by the way, it's entirely possible that those players could stand outside Cameron Indoor. Uh, you know, when they walk out of Cameron Indoor. If someone wants an autograph they could say you know hand me 20 bucks yeah exactly. <laughs> you know they they could ask for that all right like, so yo, couple... I, gotta, I gotta go
1: to i gotta go to cosmic later and i need i need my cosmic money there you go
2: exactly all right so a couple other really really quick ones and then we'll be done with this i already mentioned haley and hannah cavender the female basketball players at fresno state who who are promoting boost mobile on their social i this, this is one i love iowa's jordan bohannon do you guys hear about jordan bohannon jordan bohannon mm-hmm. announced his own line of apparel, the J 30 apparel brand. And he started selling t-shirts at midnight and he spent July 1st, the first day of name, image, and likeness at a fireworks store in Iowa, signing autographs. He was paid to be there. He was signing autographs all day long. Uh, and, and the last one I wanted to mention there, are, there are some companies that are already reaching out saying, Hey, athletes come to us. There's some, I forget the name of There's some company in, the state of Nebraska that said any scholarship athlete at any school in Nebraska, they will sponsor them in some form. They said, you know, bring us the entire Nebraska football team where, you know, they didn't say how much they'd pay, but they would sponsor them in some form. And then the best was this Arby's. The makers of the roast beef sandwich said they are looking for some Arby's, some running backs. They're looking for some college running back. They actually put on their social feed and Arby's social feed Arby's kills it on Twitter. Let me tell you if you want to have fun, you go look at the Arby's Twitter feed. They put out just on their Twitter eat, feed.
1: Just don't eat at Arby's if you want to have <laughs> right? fun. Yeah, they like, have the meats. Follow the yeah, they do have the meats.
2: <laughs> they also have the runs. Oh um, no, <laughs> Arby's is not. Necessarily, oh no, no, it's not good food. Anyway, uh, Arby's put out on their social media feed that they're looking for some running backs, some Arby's. So, uh, so guys, if you're a college basket, a college football running back, Arby's wants to sponsor you. So. There's
0: one that you forgot that what is one, the best one I think. I didn't forget. I left it for you. I left, you it, left for it for you. me, and I appreciate you doing that. Hercy Miller. You may be like, Did you mean Percy Miller like Master P? Yes, I did. But his name is Hercy Miller. That is Master P's son. He has already cashed in the biggest of anybody. He is going to Tennessee State. He's entering as a freshman this year to play basketball. And he signed a four-year deal with a software company called Web Apps America. They're based out of California for $2 million. So already he is guaranteed a four-year contract, $2 million over the course of his college career. And he's going to Tennessee State. Also, Of course, Master P negotiated his deal, which helps. But to come out the gate like that, this is kind of what people were thinking about. They're thinking about guys trying to get some of these millions. But I do want to say this on a little fun note. JJ Reddick. I know you guys saw his Twitter. A lot of people were asking him, about what would, you know, if, if he was in the name, image, and likeness era, where would he first get his sponsorship? And he said, locally, it'd be shooters, no doubt. So I got a question for you guys. Keeping in line with JJ's answer. What local company in Durham would have sponsored you when you were in school? And they had to have been around when you were in school. So for me, RIP, it would have been Armadillo Grove. That would have been the one you that can would still, have me and, and
1: you can still go to the Dillo, but you have to go to Carborough for it. So yeah, no, no.
0: I want the one I can't. You, you I don't want, want to. That. You don't
1: want to mess around with that. You want the one in the Bryan Center. I exactly. I loved Donald. I'm so glad that you brought up JJ Reddick's tweets because it was not. He mentioned shooters, but he also mentioned. Uh, I think he said like he would have blown all of his nil money on natty lights on Lacoste polos. polos. Oh, that was hysterical.
2: <laughs> and he, he even said with Lacoste polos with the popped collar with, with the collar <laughs> popped Yeah. Pop, yeah. If you
1: if uh, if if Duke students weren't a stereotype enough already, JJ Reddick really really cementing it. he also I, I know that he mentioned cosmic cantina somewhere else in the in the i think he was replying to andy means in a tweet about uh mm-hmm. how he would be sponsored by cosmic cantina i am I, i've got two two picks here my old school durham pick would be bullock's barbecue i think i would love okay. to be sponsored by bullock's barbecue although i guess they would have to pay me in cash because it's a cash only business and, and uh if i'm going new school two options that uh current duke students or or graduate students might be familiar with danes on ninth street is my favorite bar, so uh, that spot, and then um, Heavenly Buffalos, which is the uh, wing shack that's also on 9th nice Street, corner. which everybody, all the all the Duke students know about now, it was not around when I was an undergrad, but counts because I got it in business school. So uh, Sam, I'll go with Danes and Heavenly Buffalos.
0: Sam took me to Heavenly Buffalo and can't confirm it is. It is. It is.
1: It is, it is something else. Although, although now that we have the national wing shortage, the, the Heavenly Buffalos is probably the most expensive meal in Durham.
2: Right. So, so for me, there was this Chinese restaurant. I don't remember the name of it. I'll be honest, with you guys, I do not remember the name of it. it. There was like a woman. It was like a woman's name, like queen or something. I, I forget. There was a Chinese restaurant off of East Campus that we used to go to. Um, I, I want to say they called it a, a, like a, they had a poo-poo platter or something like that, <laughs> where where you would eat an absurd, ridiculous amount of appetizers, and they had these drinks they had, it was like a giant blue drink by giant. I'm, I'm serious. This was like a quart of liquid that was mostly alcohol that would just kill you. That place would sponsor me. They would do nothing but pay me in these giant blue drinks. And, and yeah, I would, it would be ugly, but it would be fun. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so, uh, Jason, while
0: you're here, wrap this up, like uh, about this whole name image of like this, where do we go from here and kind of how, put a bow on this whole situation as we enter this new era of athletics. Yeah.
2: yeah. So I think the important thing for people to understand and take away is that uh, even though we've talked about some of these cool, interesting deals, you know, Masterpiece Kid making $2 million, Jordan Bohannon selling t-shirts, you know, Derek King uh, forming his own company that, that's selling autographs for thousands of dollars and stuff like that for the vast, vast majority of, of D1 athletes, we we don't yet have a good sense of how much money they're going to make off of this, and I think a lot of these guys um, and girls, you know, women, are going to be making pizza money. That, that's sort of a, a term that we refer to. They're going to be making you know maybe a couple hundred dollars a week or a month um, off of monetizing their their social media feed. Um, there'll be some bigger stars, some folks who are a little more aggressive who may make as much as a thousand dollars a month or so off of a, of, off of a sponsorship or something like that. You know, if they're, if they're aggressive about taking this and then there's going to be a very, very small number. And like I said earlier, a lot of them will be the, the, the women who have huge social media followings who, who are going to do pretty well, who will make hundreds of thousands of dollars, but that's a really, really tiny portion of, of the athletes that are out there. And it's not necessarily just the big stars, that are that and, are and when,
1: be- when when Jason when when you try to put this into context obviously we didn't have sort of pre this week I guess we didn't have a sense for the the kind of social media based presence here and and you know there are there are social media influencers out there who who make some money but it's not like they make even if they're in the hundreds of thousands these are not people who are becoming like enormous celebrities but if you remember all the all the stories about be it Zion Williamson or Anthony Davis or, or any of those stories about guys getting paid to, to go to certain schools. Remember, all those stories were something in the like one to three hundred thousand range. It was not no one was talking about Zion got a million dollars to go to Duke or Anthony Davis got a million dollars to go to Kentucky or Cam Newton got a million. I, I think the Cam Newton story was like one hundred and eighty or two hundred thousand dollars that he got to go to Auburn. And that was like the biggest uh, kid who got paid to go to a school kind of story. So that think of that as being like the top end for, you know, like that, that's probably high end for, for even the, even the, the most famous guys just on an athletics perspective.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that people need to understand is that I don't think that the pie has suddenly gotten bigger. I think what's happened is that the players are now going to be able to get a slice, a tiny slice of that pie. And by that, I mean, the, the, the real money is corporate sponsorships. Um, and yeah, there may be some, uh, you know, may, maybe some, you know, alumni affiliated local car dealer kind of stuff, you know, where a guy who just absolutely loves Clemson football or Alabama football or, or Duke basketball uh, and, and has a little bit of money to throw around. Maybe there's some of those guys who, who do deals um, and, and bring in, you know, and, and pay players tens of thousands of dollars but but the real money is in the corporate sponsorships. And, and it's not like McDonald's suddenly decided they're going to, or Nike suddenly decided they're going to spend more on advertising. They've got a fixed marketing and advertising budget. And, and what just happened was rather than, you know whatever they allocate toward college sports advertising, rather than paying all that money to ABC and ESPN and CBS and to schools for sponsorships, some portion of that money will now go to some players, but it's not you know like the you know pot, what's interesting,
1: the, the, Jason, on, on that front is that prior to this, we always talked about how there were AAU teams who were specific to to particular shoe companies, yes. and that there was a lot of talk about you know if you were a if you were a Nike AAU guy. it was likely that you were going to go to a nike school whether you you were being paid for that or not or it might just be that you're sort of in the nike ecosystem so the guys who work at the nike camps happen to be guys who are more familiar with duke and north carolina and kentucky and oregon and, and the the big nike schools now that actually may be more institutionalized and you could actually be a Nike-sponsored athlete from the time you're you know, in, in high school or middle school and could just be with Nike all the way through. And it's not going to feel like a big revelation when you finally get to the pros and all of a sudden you sign with Nike for the first time.
2: Yeah, yeah because by the way, you won't have to wait till you're the pros to sign. I, Zion Williamson, you know, the guys who are, that's and this is going to be the interesting thing to see is the guys who are the top tier players who make it clear they are about to be big time pros, Cade Cunningham, for example, you know, from Oklahoma state, Cade Cunningham, Zion Williams and Cade Cunningham, these kind of guys, Ben Simmons, whoever it may be, are not going to wait until they turn pro to sign that endorsement deal. That endorsement deal is going to happen earlier and earlier in their career. And, and by the way, that's not necessarily a good thing for the players the endorsement deal that Zion signs with Jordan brand after a year at Duke, after blowing up the college basketball universe and being the biggest thing out there, if Zion signs that same or signs with Jordan brand or someone like that in high school, which, you know, under these now these new circumstances looks likely, or, or if not in high school early in his college career, it's probably a very different deal. It's not nearly as large because his fame grew at Duke. So it, there's a really, you know, I think it's fascinating to think about how the ripple effects of this that people probably haven't thought about yet could could impact athletes.
0: Really quick, I know, to to tie this up, I think for some of these bigger companies that are already investing in college basketball on the on the grand scale, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of them. It would be interesting to see how that works out, because like, for example, like Visa or something like that. May have something where the NCAA says, okay, if you want to sponsor the NCAA tournament, you cannot sponsor any players, or they may have some things written in where they're not going to, they don't want to have it where McDonald's sponsors the final four, but also sponsors this player on Kentucky and this player on UNC who may not be in the final four. So it's going to be interesting to see how those get interwoven, those contracts kind of get written moving forward from that side, because I do think there are some that are not going to want to you know mess up their opportunity to be a part of the big things like the NCAA tournament or the college football player for something like that in just to sponsor one athlete on one team so it'll be
2: interesting to see how that works out yeah so so things changed on July 1st they changed in a huge fundamental way they have not stopped changing <laughs> that's yeah. right and they won't say yeah exactly this is going to be it's going to evolve it's going to be big news for a long time and, and But we haven't talked that much about Duke, other than mentioning Mark Williams. I, I think that Duke and other schools like them, who are big time uh, programs, big time social media programs, they're probably waiting and figuring, you know, they're, they're putting stuff together, putting stuff in place, so that, so that they, they sort of roll something out. And again, the schools have to be very careful about how much they're formally involved in this, but they're going to roll something out at some point in a very careful, structured kind of way so the athletes at Duke understand uh, exactly what's going to work and how it works best. Uh, I, I think it's significant that we haven't seen a lot of Duke players announcing a lot of stuff yet because I think that Duke has said to them, hang on, we're going to get a program. We're going to get people who can help you with this. We're going to do it in the right kind of way. And I'll be shocked if the Duke program that has been the leader in social media for the past you know half decade plus – doesn't have something really interesting and robust that they, that they announced for the players. It just, you know, like I said, it started on July 1st. It didn't end then it's, it's going to be evolving and changing. This is a, this is a
0: trailblazing opportunity and moment in college athletics. And when you trailblaze, you don't have a road, you have to create it. And I think a lot, that's what we're going to see over the next few months. We did need to wrap up, but before we did, I'd be remiss if we did not mention that Grant Hill uh, has been named to the board of trustees at Duke university If any of you out there have been to any alumni event back on campus, does not matter when that is, whether it be homecoming, reunion, or something like that, you know that Grant Hill is one of the most involved alumni there is. So it makes perfect sense for a two-time national champion, also just so involved in so many different things. His family has been involved at Duke since he arrived on campus back in the early 90s. He is now a part of the Board of Trustees. I think it's a fantastic combination Uh, Sam I I know you've seen him on campus before Uh, what do you think about this move
1: yeah Grant Hill's done done a number of cool projects on campus too, be it in athletics or or across the wider university Um, was uh, was involved in the John Hope Franklin Center for a while at Duke so it's uh, it's very cool that that he's on the board now and and the university put out a uh, press release about the recent additions to the board of trustees. Obviously, it's going to be mostly people who are who are major donors, but it, it seems like Duke's made a conscious effort to make the board more diverse. And, and it's very cool to see a guy like Grant Hill, who we know is really involved, uh, to finally be sort of serving the university at the highest level.
2: He is a fascinating guy. I mean, like Grant Hill is one of these people who uh, unbelievably success. Look, if not for a really unfortunate injury. There are a lot of people who think Grant Hill would be one of the 10, 20 best basketball players of all time. Donald, I know it pains you because, huh? <laughs> you know, as a Detroit Pistons fan. Um, uh, anyway, I, but Grant Hill, to me, like this is a guy, he's involved in real estate. He's, he's one of the owners, the lead owner of the Atlanta Hawks. You guys know Grant Hill is very involved in artwork. Like his art, he has one of the foremost like collections of African American art. And and he sends it on tour to different cities and such. He has a whole he has a a, a a like a a marketing venture firm that does uh, he, Grant Hill just does so much fascinating, interesting stuff.
1: If I had Grant Hill's money, I would not do all of the things that Grant Hill does. Like, I don't <laughs> exactly. I don't think I'm cool enough to do all that stuff.
2: Exactly. Uh, he, he's a guy who, um, of course, he's on the Duke Board of Trustees, and it's been a long time coming. He, he is arguably the most accomplished of any. Duke basketball alum. I, I, I don't say that lightly. There are a number of Duke alums that are doing great, great things out there. You can make a decent argument that Grant Hill is the most accomplished and uh, you know most interesting of any of them. And, and it's going to be great having him on the board of trustees um, to, to help lead the university as we move forward. And on top of that, um, above all of that, he is the most engaging
0: human being. Like, he will seek you out. Like, if you go up to him at a reunion, or go up to him at an alumni event, he will sit and chat with you for hours. It seems for you, it seems like eternity for him. He he does this for everyone, and that's something that can't be said about a lot of the board of trustees. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but a lot of board of trustees are kind of far removed from the limelight. He's going to be a guy that's out there, active, engaging, and just his personality brings people in and bring and wants you to be motivated to become as involved as engaged as he is. So great hire congratulations to Grant Hill uh, we look forward to seeing how uh, he shapes the the future of Duke University as a board of trustee uh, or as a trustee on the board that will do it for episode 325 of the Duke basketball report podcast thank you as always for tuning in remember email us at dBRpodcast at gmail.com if you have questions or you want to just reach out for topic suggestions we love hearing from people don't forget to subscribe leave a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. So on this holiday weekend, for Sam and Jason, I am Donald. This is the DVR Podcast, and it's time for the Duke fan to take us home.